This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to Anatomy of Us, a show dedicated to bringing real help to real couples. I'm your host, Melanie Studley. What's up, guys? My name is Seth Studley. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and together we are high-performance marriage coaches. We are cutting through the bullcrap and creating a movement of happy, healthy, badass couples all over the world. Let's go! Yo guys, what's up? Seth and Melanie here. Today we interview Matthew Frey. He is the author of This Is How Your Marriage Ends. Melanie showed me this book and I was like, oh snap, what's going on? But <laughs> It's this, an amazing interview. Matthew is awesome. Yeah, it was a super cool interview. And this book honestly and legitimately changed the way that I see things. So read it, listen to the interview, get more information. You guys are going to love this one. All right, enjoy. It is amazing to have you here. Uh, both Seth and I have read your book. You are a hot topic in my women's group coaching groups. We talk about you and your book and all the things. Um, so thank you so much for being here. And why don't you tell our audience a little bit about who you are? All right. Thank you so much for that. My name is Matthew Frey. I, um, personal story is I got divorced about 10 years ago. So I'm technically a single father with a 14-year-old right now. He was four at the time. And it was particularly difficult for me because I was that exact same age and also an only child when my parents split, like in my youth. Mm -hmm. So this has been like thematically like a big deal to me personally yeah. in my life. But it was particularly challenging when like I was just never imagined myself being a divorced single father. Mm -hmm. um, I took it really hard. I started writing on the Internet about it. And um, it like accidentally developed something of a following. I don't act like it's this huge deal because because it, it wasn't. But but certainly more significant than nothing. And right, I had, I did have a captive audience paying attention enough to develop like a smidge of media attention. Um, I eventually wanted to try to like monetize it somehow. This sounds so pathetic and selfish, but I don't mean it that way. Yeah. It's like, how can I make this what I do all the time? Right. Because sitting in a cubicle is not very fulfilling. Right. And uh, I spoke to a man named Mark Groves, who people may or may not know that are listening and he's great. And he served as like something of a mentor. I don't act like we're besties or anything, but we've talked a handful of times and he's a great guy. He's like, Matt, you got to be coaching. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, no, I'm not qualified to do any of that. Like, I can't ask people to exchange money for my like amateur advice. Mm -hmm. right. My data set in relationships is divorce. Like, that's like, how can I possibly <laughs> tell? And he's like, he's like, don't you see it? He's like, you're not advertising. He's like, you're just hanging the shingle and saying you're available for it. People are already asking you. Mm -hmm. And that was true. I was already being asked by a handful of people and politely declining every time. Um, finally, after about a year and a half of nudging about this, I, I, I sort of like took the leap. Anyway, about a year later, the New York Times decided to do a feature story about it. I have no idea how or why that happened, but that set the ball rolling for book contract, opportunity to write it. And then when that happens, the combo of like the New York Times, the book coming out, and then the media attention that followed. Mm -hmm brings me to all these lovely conversations where, you know, the, the world of authorship today is have these conversations on podcasts. Like yeah. this yeah. is how people consume this type of media yeah. and it's super flattering and I love it every time. Thank you for inviting me to be here. I'm Absolutely. an accidental self-help writer who wants to help people not have lousy relationships. 
Hey, that's that's some of the best ways to get to where a lot of awesome people are. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, we're not looking for that. We didn't like train for this or go to school for this. It happened. Like mm-hmm. the whole reason that we have this show in our platform is literally because Melanie gave me a black eye. Mm-hmm. Like, had she not done that, I mean, we can we can kind of joke about it now. You know, I mean, before it was like the worst shit ever. Right. What? Sorry, if that, I apologize for smiling. At no, no listen, when we speak in public about this, people actually, women applaud. Yeah. And I'm, I, I was like taken aback the first time I got a round of applause for giving my husband a black eye. I was like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, no, I get it. Uh, no, well, but, but yeah, we, I love we, that. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have any of this had that not happened, mm-hmm. right? And by the way, for the listeners, can you tell people the book we're even talking about? Because I don't <laughs> think we, none of us said it. Well, we'll introduce yes, that. Sorry, yeah. my natural instinct is not the pat myself on the back. The book is called This Is How Your Marriage Ends, Hopeful Approach to Saving Relationships. And it was me taking a lot of my personal story, some of which I'd shared on the blog already. I'd had some experience like doing this type of storytelling for, I don't know, seven or eight years at the time of like beginning to write the book. Mm-hmm. And then I had right all these like sort of newer stories from coaching clients and things like that. And I don't know, it's some like weird little combination of of memoir not that my personal backstory is particularly interesting to people but it i think it's a i think it's a good storytelling device i think it's a good sort of like it's how i like to learn right, right. my favorite writer is a guy named mark manson i don't know again oh, yeah. how many oh, yeah. people are familiar with him mm-hmm. but his like methodology i just really really enjoy his work and i was already kind of doing it before i found him but mm-hmm. i recognized sort of a kindred spirit in his work i think he's smarter and funnier uh, certainly. But um, but stylistically, we more or less do the same thing. He just right. does it in a more heady way than I do. And I right. stay hyper-focused on relationships and he's yeah. smart about a lot of things. So one, I think um, we came about your book, one of the ladies in Melanie's No, 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 group. no. Don't no? you even. How uh-uh. did we get there? I will tell you how we came across this and I love, love, love it. So years ago, when we were going through the shit show of our marriage, my sister sent me your blog post on must be this tall to ride. And it was like a memoir to shitty husbands or something or whatever. Like I have it written down, but she sent me that years ago. Yes. Carrie, your sister, Carrie, my sister Uh, sent me that years ago. So I had had you on my radar, but at the time it was like, whatever. I basically hated Seth's guts. I'm looking at my notes here. And so that's how I discovered you. And then we were going through a, like a difficult time fairly recently, just like working through some stuff and whatever. And I was Googling, you know, the weird things that you Google when you like feel like you hate your spouse, but you don't. Uh, and you're like, how do I do this? And something for men. And then this you're book popped up. <laughs> this book popped up and I didn't recognize your name. I didn't connect the two. So right. there's one thing I want to say is that whoever did your cover art, it does the job. The cover art is really good and really eye-catching. And I was like, oh, I will read whatever this is. And then I realized it was you. And I was so pumped told all the ladies in the group. Then we like listen to every inner, like every podcast interview you've been on. Everybody's reading the book. So that's how we came across the book. Oh, okay. It's been like a wow. journey. I've been on a journey with you. That's a hell of a story. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. It's not, it's not obvious. I, uh, I was just mad like on the blog, you know, and then you can't do that. I'm not cool. Like, you know, print and share. Like, so <laughs> I had to have like a name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or excuse me. So anyway, that's so interesting that you like knew the work, but yeah. that must I don't know. That's fun. Thank you for yeah, sharing yeah. that. You're the first person to tell me like that kind of story. No way. Like I'd encountered your stuff before, 
that I encountered the book by happenstance mm -hmm. and then realized it was the same person. That's that's yeah. neat to hear. Yeah, that, that's I was like cool. so I didn't know, pumped when I found it. Yeah, I didn't know that your sister did that. Thanks, Gary. Um, but so so Melanie shared with me the book. She's like, "Hey, check this out. You should read it." And I part of me was like, uh, "Whatever." No, no, I wasn't. Whatever. <laughs> I'm just I I was like, uh, "Okay, is are you trying to tell me something? What's what's going on here?" And I think you shared it because like, okay, how can it be relatable to our marriage? And then also our work with clients. We're also coaches. I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist. I don't know if you knew that, but yes, like sir, that's part of our thing that, you know, we had the worst marriage ever and I was a therapist. And I, I read that and you talk a lot about, and guys, you got to get the book. Just listeners, please go get it. Husbands, mm -hmm. get it, you know, yesterday basically. And there's this thing that you talk about of like, I'm a good guy. I'm, I'm, I'm good, you know, and that is not in an ego way. That is not in a like, look at me, I'm hot shit, anything like that. It's no, I'm, I'm fairly respectful. I have a full-time job. I put pants on when I go to the grocery store, not pajamas, you know, at 2 PM with pizza stains on my shirt. I do stuff. I'm kind to the kids. I don't kick the dog. I'm a good, decent guy, you know, but good, decent guys don't cut it oftentimes, although we think we do, right? And that's like a paradox. I can't tell you how many like clients I've had that have said the same things you have said. And like, I don't know, we haven't had sex in forever. Uh, she doesn't talk to me. We're not connected. What's going on? What do I do? So can you just dive straight in, you know, head first, boom, go for it deep in um, and explain some of those things and where us guys get it wrong? Yeah. And I'll try to like, piggyback off what you just said, like that, that experience with uh, an actual story from my coaching conversation, like 90 minutes ago, mm -hmm. um, we're talking and he's expressing frustration. And I hear this from like a lot of my like male clients, this frustration at what, what a different client has come to call the shame role, which is like the litany of grievances over the years, right? That she's trying to say, Hey, all of this is just like the time you did this and this and this and this. And Average guy I encounter in that experience feels exactly as I did in my marriage. And the first thought is, how you guys, where are we on adult language? And that's, oh, you can say okay? whatever you want. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Okay, because it's just the most organic way to like think about it. I'm like, holy shit, you're the kind of person that keeps like a, like a list, like an FU list of like all the things that like you're mad about or, or, or whatever. And like, I would never do that to you. Like, I would never be so petty and unloving and unforgiving that I would retain some list of, like, everything that you ever said or did that hurt me or bothered me. Mm -hmm. And that is sort of, like, the way we think about how we're being unfairly treated in the relationship. That is a common experience yeah. that I encounter. Mm -hmm. Okay, so my thesis, my the, oh, hypothesis, I don't know what the right word is here, is this idea that the thing that we require most in order to have healthy, lasting relationships is trust. Like, and I don't mean trust in the context of honesty necessarily. And I don't mean trust in the context of like, this person won't hit me or, or, or like abandon me or like gamble away the family savings or commit a crime. It's trust in a much more subtle way. It's about reliability, mm -hmm. consistency. It's about, can I count on this person to treat me the way that I need to be treated to feel loved and safe in this relationship, to feel respected, um, all of those things. And, and, and that, that gets really messy and nuanced, I feel like, in relationships. And 
really decent, well-intentioned, intelligent people can speak and act in a manner which results in the other person not feeling loved, seen, heard, understood, cared for, all of these really, really common experiences. And I think we get very hung up on, I'm a person of high character who's doing the best I can. Why am I not given credit for the good things I do and only seem to be complained about for the bad or criticized mm -hmm. for the bad? And I'm working so hard on the other side of it. Again, usually with men in the so-called heteronormative, you know, like male-female relationships, mm. that because that's usually the, the dynamic that the female partner is sort of feeling these things. And the husband is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, what right. is this? And it, I'm just trying to like take character and, 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 and intentions particularly out of the conversation mm. because intention does not equal experience because I can think that I'm the best person in the world and I can intend to do the best things in the world. And that doesn't mean that the experience another person in my sphere has isn't less than ideal or, or even painful. Mm -hmm. And I think painful is the concept to focus on. I needed to protect my wife from pain. I needed to, in order to retain safety and trust in my relationship for us to still be together today. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do that. Um, and it's because I miscalculated what was happening as no big deal. Right. right. Like, you know, uh, yeah. It's her reaction that's the problem. It's her interpretation that's the problem, not what's happening. Yeah. And you, I just you, think relationally, that's not a metric. My judgment that something should or shouldn't hurt is not a useful metric in retaining safety and trust in relationships. Mm -hmm. Right. And especially when you don't have, you're not in your spouse's brain, you know, like, so, so, but my, my opinion on if that was silly and that shouldn't have hurt you and telling you how to feel that I mean, after a while, it just gets offensive. Like, whatever, man, you're just like not a person to even talk to anymore kind of thing. And two things I want to go back to. You're talking about intentions. And there's this in like social justice, like uh, sociology circles, they talked about impact over intention. Like, okay, your intention was to go and help, you know, the, the this people group or whatever. But the impact was you came in and really messed stuff up. And then a year later, you're out again, right? So intention versus impact. And oftentimes, uh, people in, you know, even in professional circles, and obviously relationships go, Oh, well, this I didn't mean to hurt your feelings when I forgot to bring the trash up from the driveway for the 800th time, you know, and it, that's important because, oh, you know, the kids in the neighborhood knock the trash over and then crows come and eat it and then, just, you know, spread garbage all over the place. And I'm at work and you have to clean it up every dang week, you know, kind of thing. Oh, well, I didn't mean to. I was running for late for work. I don't care about that anymore. It's, 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 I, I can't trust you to do that small thing. And like you said, in heteronormative relationships, trust, well, trust is important in any relationship. I'm not just, you know, stereotyping that type of relationship, but for women, and again, um, I'm just going to speak in general terms because mostly we work with hetero couples, right? Uh, for women, trust is paramount before anything, anything else. Trust and safety, paramount before anything else. And if us guys go, well, I feel safe. What's the big deal? You know, like I, I'm in downtown Seattle all the time. I'm not really scared to walk down an alley or a dark parking garage or anything, right? I want to be aware, of course. But I'm like, well, hmm, I'll fare fairly okay, right? But because you're a woman, you know, whatever, she thinks way differently of that stuff. So it would be insane 
for me to go, I walk down the dark alley. What's the big deal? Come on, go. Who cares? Like, no, I could die, you know, kind of thing. So guys do that so often. I want to talk about um, right now is Fuvember, family of origin, because I'm a systems, family systems therapist. That's what we do. We are doing Fuvember. It's not, it's not (laughs) Not, Fuvember. That's something that we made up. It's an international holiday that we made up and we just launched it right now. No, um, but this will air after November. But in my family of origin, and I'm curious about yours a little bit, uh, things, feelings, emotions tended to really be dismissed. He oh, was raised in the Bible. I was belt raised in the Bible in belt South in, the, in the South. You know, like oh, dismiss, suck it up. My my grandma, my grandma was is literally from England. She's British, so keep calm and carry on. Continue, go forward. What are you crying about? Um, dry it up, <laughs> suck it up, Buttercup. Uh, what are you doing? Go, go, go. Right. So, what do you think I'm going to do? When I get into a long-term relationship, I, from family of origin, am going to tend to dismiss feelings, to rationalize away and go, what? I, I didn't mean to do that. Let's go to dinner, although I just forgot your birthday, you know, or something <laughs> crazy like that, which I haven't, by the way. So in your experience, did you come from a similar family of origin where things were dismissed in that particular yeah, way? Yeah, good guess. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I don't mean to uh, besmirch them. Yeah. They, like a beautiful family and i am i am i am proud to be to, to like sort of be from it my mother's the oldest of eight and wow. so i'm like the de facto ninth because <laughs> right i'm only like four years younger than like the baby yeah it's crazy wow and so right she was like my big sister a little bit and um that's just how it was like this big catholic family where i don't know because i uh I really struggle. I really want to keep like religion and politics out of it. It is, it is my experience. Mm-hmm. Well, really wanting to be sensitive about people are allowed to believe and invest whatever they want. I, I, I don't think that automatically makes you bad at relationships. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do find there to be a bit of a correlation between this type of environment and upbringing. The, uh, a particularly conservative and or religious environment there does seem to be a lot of blind spots and or intentional rejection of this concept of relativism, mm. right? It's mm-hmm. like, I believe so much in this, this absolute truth, this binary idea that something's either good or bad, right or wrong. And, and I don't know, that's, that's very much how I used to think. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I am a decent person. I'm semi-intelligent. I can absolutely be trusted to d- determine whether something's good or bad, right or wrong. Like that mm-hmm. is absolutely within my my, my skill set, my capabilities. And so suddenly someone else is saying, hey, this is bad. And it violates like every sort of like intellectual conclusion or emotional experience I've ever had. And I'm like, no, no it's not. <laughs> it's not bad. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you're thinking about it the wrong way or feeling about it the wrong way. And so I think people are allowed to have that debate in that conversation. I don't particularly care. I don't think, for example, you know, it's in the United States. It was like election day yesterday. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people on opposite sides of issues, and they're very passionate about it. I don't think they're obligated to, like, validate the experiences of the other side. That's not what I'm saying. Right. Although, I frankly, think it would be useful exercise. <laughs> I think people in our inner circles, the people with whom we absolutely must have safety and trust in order to have healthy, functional relationships, and I think the priority needs to be spouses and children, 
but extending that to like the outer rings of our families and friends and neighbors is I think coworkers is pretty useful too. Mm -hmm. Um, It demands it. Mm -hmm. And I just think when we fail to validate, that does not mean agree. It just means your experiences matter to me and you can trust me to speak and act in a manner that honors that which affects you, even if it doesn't affect me. That that's necessary for trust. And I just think so many people in relationships accidentally communicate, oh, I understand that matters to you, but it doesn't matter to me. So good luck. It's wrong. You're on your own. It's not my problem. And that sort of like hands-off approach, I think, consistently correlates with slow trust erosion over time. This won't end you in in, in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. It'll end you dangerously slowly, mm-hmm. five yeah. years, 10 years, 20 years later. Yeah. Um, and I find that to be a particularly dangerous condition, is that. Oh Good man! People don't even know. Yeah. In many cases, that these are the ingredients that will make their lives really miserable two decades from now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love the analogy that you use of like death by a thousand paper cuts, like over a bajillion years. I think that that is so appropriate. Where it just feels like it's not one. You know, I think you say it on your website. It's like it doesn't end in a giant explosion. It ends like slow drip, piece by piece over time. And I was recently watching a video that you did on your YouTube channel where it was explaining Maslow's hierarchy of needs and like where people get stuck. They're like on the, what was it? The uh, need, what is it? Security needs? like Level the- two of the pyramid safety. And so in human need terms, what Maslow was talking about is if we fundamentally don't feel safe, like uh, we don't have a home or like um, a bear's chasing us I, or, you know, and I think like modern day human terms, like during... Um, Let's get really like sort of dark during a home invasion. We wouldn't be worried about election results. Right. <laughs> but right, right now, right. people are really worried about election results. Right. And but that would not be or, or you just got the worst diagnosis imaginable from a doctor or found out that someone you love dearly did. Mm-hmm. Like suddenly like this thing that felt like the most important. It's like, I mean, sorry, people who don't think relativism matters, but it absolutely does. And it affects you, too. Like we have this like way we rank things. And Maslow was saying we have to have safety in order to like dabble in level three of the pyramid, which has to do with like belonging Mm -hmm. and togetherness and community and feeling like you're part of something, Mm -hmm. whether it's a family or a group or a tribe or just whatever. Like people, generally speaking, need to feel like they belong. Um, And I, I, I suggest that in the average relationship, man, right? Man inadvertently or partner inadvertently is doing things that hurt the other, that uh, erodes trust or erodes the sense of safety. And so one partner, often the female and male-female relationships, doesn't feel safe any longer and they're stuck there. Mm-hmm. And and male partner who feels fine because he's somewhat oblivious to this idea that, you know, she's suffering in this way. He's confused because he's trying to connect with her on level three, mm-hmm. which is like physical intimacy, dating and parties and going out and vacation and doing all these things. And she doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. It feels to him like rejection. It feels to her like total neglect and abandonment. Mm-hmm. And we can't talk about it because anytime we say, hey, something's wrong, the other person doesn't agree that something's wrong and this invalidation cycle happens. And th- that is what the average relationship, in my estimation, like th- that's what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And again, they're smart and they're, they're decent and they really do love each other and they want their relationship to work yet. Mm-hmm. They're sort of accidentally saying and doing things that, that are going to lead them somewhere else. Right. And I I just think that's a really sad story. And I want to help. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this idea? Because I love that, like, you're basically saying they're on two different levels of the pyramid. So what she's concerned about, he's not concerned about, and they're not meeting in the middle. But then you'll hear people talk about, like, 
Well, women connect through talking and men connect through sex. So women have to connect first to have sex. Men have to have sex to connect first. And so like, what is your take on that concept? Because I've heard people talk about it a lot, but I want to know what you think. I think asking someone to have sex when they don't want to is gross. I just think in a, in a, in a, I just, I don't know. I'm sorry. It's a personal value that I don't want to project on other people. Unwanted sex strikes me as a bad thing. Yes. And, and, and I think that's a useful way to think about it. If you're someone who shares my viewpoint that unwanted sex is a bad thing, I think the most useful thing for the average guy in this type of scenario to think about is I'm going to concentrate on safety. Instead of coercing my wife or pressuring my wife into being, a, you know, my animated, you know, masturbatory device, mm -hmm. maybe what I can do is understand, like, why she doesn't feel safe or, or trusting in the relationship. It, it, again, it usually never gets to that point. Mm -hmm. We're usually so confused about how that could be a thing that we think they're crazy. Mm -hmm. And then we feel really awful because we feel like sexually rejected. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they don't want us anymore. Do they want someone else? Mm -hmm. Suddenly not good enough. She's actually the one that's like breaking her marriage vows. Mm -hmm. Because this notion of I did things that hurt mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. is completely lost on most people, in right. my estimation. And I, I want to shine light on that. I don't want to make people feel guilty or judged. Right. It's not useful whatsoever. I'm saying, hey, they were hurt. You didn't know it. Mm -hmm. You're not a bad person. But if they're hurt and it doesn't heal, they'll never be trust in the relationship. Mm -hmm. If you can heal those wounds and demonstrate trustworthiness, everything will get rekindled in the bedroom. Because I promise they also don't want to live like a celibate monk for the rest of their life. Right, right. right. And so from your perspective and your work with clients, what does rebuilding that safety look like? Because like, I can imagine a bunch of dudes hearing this and be like, oh, I get what he's saying. I have no idea how to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So I apologize. I don't want to like dominate the conversation with all my little weird stuff that I do. But the no, way that great. I visualize trust, just because it's really useful to me, is to imagine two dots, uh, one dot representing one partner and the other dot representing the other. And they're on a, a flat horizontal line. And this is like a simple like mathematical graph like from high school or something, right? And, and the closer these two dots are together on this line represents safety, trust, intimacy, connectivity. And the further apart they are represents disconnection and disharmony over time. And so my belief is we start out close together and we slowly drift apart over time because of all these little paper cuts and these little misunderstandings. And so restoring safety and trust in theory is moving those dots close together again. Mm -hmm. And the, the two ideas that I discuss in order to do that are to validate habitually. And that means that I think the simplest way to say it is a relationship partner must be able to say, hey, something's wrong. And then have that conversation end with the other partner more or less understanding, okay, something's wrong. I care that something's wrong for them and I am going to be their supportive partner in fixing whatever it is I have to contribute to this mm -hmm. because it's not okay that something's wrong for them. Mm -hmm. but that's right. That's not what happens and not because we're all jerks. What happens is they say the words and it doesn't land as an intellectual or emotional reality for us. And then we like debate or challenge or offer a differing perspective and things go downhill. And so I'm encouraging people to validate, even if we don't agree, even if we don't think the glass left by the sink is a marriage problem or the trash cans being left out is a marriage problem. Mm -hmm. Because I, I don't really think in, in a vacuum that it is. 
But if my relationship partner sees that as evidence that they're not loved, that they're not seen, that they're not respected, and that notion hurts them, then, I mean, suddenly, like, there's something that I need to tend to. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's okay for me to say, oh, you're hurt? Well, that's your problem. I'm going to be busy over here, comfortable and not worrying about it. Right. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, often how how our relationship partners feel when we're the ones doing that. So I, I try to help people develop this habit of validating. Mm-hmm. I think the really simple way to say it is have a successful conversation. Mm-hmm. People can say something's wrong and afterwards it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not some fight. Right. It's not some right like debate over whose thoughts and feelings matter the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I think both people need to be able to do that in order for relationships to have safety and trust. Yeah. The second idea is, is this big picture idea of consideration. And I almost already alluded to it with the garbage cans or the dish by the sink. Mm-hmm. As a relationship partner, I need to A, remember constantly. I can't forget that mm-hmm. things I do and say might inadvertently like harm someone else or be experienced by someone else as a negative. Mm-hmm. I just can't, do, I can't do it. I can't forget that. I can't be married to somebody and have them feel totally invisible to me mm. because, right, even though he doesn't hurt me on purpose, he doesn't notice me. I'm hurt by that. Mm-hmm. There still can't be safety and trust in the relationship. So it's like I have to remember that I'm with somebody and that they need to be kind of part of my decision making tree. Mm-hmm. They have to be included mm-hmm. in like the way that I decide what to do next. I can't forget them. Yeah. Um, and, and really, it's like, it's again, the dish by the sink or the garbage can is being left out. It's I have to know. That when they see that, they might interpret it as, I left that there for you because you don't matter to me. I either left it there as an F you because I don't really give a shit how you feel, mm-hmm. or you weren't important enough to remember. So I left it there thoughtlessly just because I wouldn't even think to, 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 to think of or care about how you might feel about it. Mm-hmm. You're, not, you're not a big enough deal to me. Right. Um, right. The combination to me of those two things, I don't feel seen. I don't feel known, understood, respected, honored, mm-hmm. combined with I can't even say it to you because you'll just tell me that, you know, you'll imply that my brain's wrong, so I'm stupid or crazy. You'll imply that my feelings are wrong, like I'm weak or hypersensitive or being dramatic or overreacting, mm-hmm. or you'll just defend yourself like it's not your problem. That to me are the two primary ingredients that result in marriages falling apart. Mm-hmm. Now, and, um, I, right, I'm, I'm an accountability partner. That's it. If yeah. someone hears me say that and they agree, wow, that really sounds like what's going on in my relationship, then the coaching work that I do is really just about me being like a friend, like an accountability partner in the process of developing these habits. Mm-hmm. And I think over time we can develop habits of validating people, considering them, and that so long as not too much harm has been caused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trust can be restored in a relationship. Like d- in develop- a perfect world, we're starting here and never leaving. Right. Every right. time a little bad thing, a little bad or painful thing happens, mm-hmm. we're efficiently repairing it right away. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that to me is like the sweet spot. And you know, we never get to this awful place where right. anybody wants to say or, or, or do something, you know, that, that might be now, violent. Now, what, mm-hmm. if, what if you, and this is hypothetical here, what if you said to your spouse or, you know, whoever you're with, Hey, I'm leaving the cup here. Is that okay with you? Because I, I constantly go back to to drink water. Can I have a designated cup that is okay? And is that fine? You know, and they can say, nope, I like it clean 100%. You're like, all right, that's that's fine. Or, hey, that makes a lot of sense. Like Melanie has a special cup that you're always carrying around, right? Mm-hmm. And I just know that. So I'm not going to get upset about it because there's like logical, I mean, it doesn't have to be logical, I guess, 
but there's there's reasons that are important to her around that. Can couples, well, it, assuming that couples communication is at this level kind of thing, like um, I, I go running and, you know, sometimes swimming in the morning. So I'll come home with wet shorts and just hang them up. I don't wash them because I just went swimming. So it's like, you don't have to wash them, right? But if she wanted me to wash them and say, hey, wash them every single time, I'm like, okay, I can respect that, right? Instead, hang them on, uh, on the shower thing so they can dry and let them be ready for the next day. Something like that. Is that, do you, would you find that like appropriate or helpful? Are if, you asking if people can compromise? <laughs> yeah. Well, well not, not compromise, but like ha- have a, 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 like, if I know the reason why you're doing something behind it, then I'm much more open to being okay with it. And like, oh yeah, that doesn't bother me. Like I know the full reasoning and sure, mm-hmm. that's fine. Mm-hmm. I, I want to, yeah, I want to, I want to choose my words carefully because I'm not um, in favor of anybody submitting necessarily to the other. I don't think one partner's thoughts and feelings and preferences should totally dominate a relationship necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I would never want somebody listening to this to think I'm advocating asking permission to do something. But the way you positioned it just now sounded to me like consideration. I am thoughtfully considering how they might feel about it. So I'm including them in a shared decision because, because this affects both of us, even though, right, people might think that's ridiculous, a, a, a glass or, or, right, like swimming trunks. But, but it's true. Yeah. I think that degree of thoughtfulness is really necessary to communicate consideration. Um, I do think there can be a problem when one person is like adamant that they do it one way and another. And, you know, that's a conflict that I don't think that I can help with. We can be considerate and still have some impasse because we can't find common ground on an issue. I, I think it's really important to know where those are. So I like reverse engineer what you just said. Here's how I talk about it. Because I've gotten a lot of criticism for this whole like that glass by the sink or dish by the sink thing over the years. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys have particularly have fought back and said, Matt, this is bullshit. Mm-hmm. They're like, you're acting like your wife's feelings and are the only ones that matter. Like, why don't your feelings matter? Why doesn't your opinion or preference that the glass be there weigh just as heavily as her preference that it not be there. And my answer today, I never used to know how to say this. My answer today is that, well, our feelings do matter the same, 100% equal. But here's the most honest answer I know how to give. When we were married, when I had to go get a glass from the cabinet or go into the dishwasher to grab a glass out, guess how much pain I felt like every time that happened. Like absolute zero. It never even occurred to me that that could be some sort of like negative I feel horrible experience. Didn't hurt at all. When my wife walked in the kitchen, the evidence was Matt left this here because he does not give a shit how I feel. He left it here on purpose. Or or the best case scenario is Matt didn't think about me at all. Mm-hmm. He just keeps doing this because how I feel about things is so meaningless and irrelevant to him. I, I, I'm this small, like I don't matter. And I don't know how long I can exist in a life in which I don't matter to the person who promised to love and partner with me all the days of my life. Mm -hmm. And so our experiences are different. And a lot of guys want to like intellectualize that and say, well, how's that fair to me? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's not fair. Cancer's not fair. But, and food allergies aren't fair. But like, shouldn't we treat people who are dealing with certain forms of cancer or dealing with certain food allergies a little bit differently than us? I mean, I think so. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I come out. It would seem really inconsiderate to like not do that. Right. It's right. But, but like cancer is easy to, to like understand and, and empathize with, I think, or at least be compassionate about, if not empathize. 
and um, and food allergies. I just right like we need to protect people with nut allergies from stuff that's got nut nuts in it. I get that. Mm -hmm. um, where when it's like more nuanced, like my emotional experience, I just think people are a little bit less respectful about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to sell people on the notion that your judgment of how appropriate or fair or good or whatever it is is just not a useful metric. It, it's, it's not. not it's useful. not a factor. Yeah, it's not a factor that is helpful in therapy. Like I, one of my theses was I like everything is relative to the person experiencing it, you know? And I use the example of like, okay, well, you, you've had a kid, right? Your kid was once three years old and they probably held a sucker and they dropped it. Ooh, they start crying, you know? And as a parent, you're like, okay, great. It's just a sucker, but they, it's the end of their world. Well, in their little world, that is the most important thing to them, right? So why don't we, so we can understand that as mature adults, and, and make sense of it. So we, especially husbands, have a really hard time with the, the dish on the, the sink or the lint on the vacuum or so, I don't know. I'm just making stuff up, right? If I really thought of it, I could think of a thousand things. <laughs> it sounded like you, are, I can't even think of things like that. I know. That like the way that it was that. starting to come out. I'm not guilty of that. Um, <laughs> where was I going with that? Oh, yes. So if everything is relative, because guess what, guys listening, husbands out there, the things that you care about are as important to you as the dish on the sink or the thing on the thing or whatever it is. And I've talked to enough guys and done this myself, raised enough hell about like my tools or whatever, this or that. It's like, it's no different. It is absolutely no different. And a minute ago, you were saying that you didn't want to like you, this isn't verbatim, but you were saying something like, you know, you don't want to like put stuff on people or hurt people's feelings. But I've had guys listen to this book and me too. Like, in fact, I wrote a letter to Melanie about this book just yesterday saying, shit, I, this is me too. Like, I, I'm decent. I'm a good guy. I don't smoke crack. I'm, you know, whatever. And I do all these things. But I have, I am acutely differently aware of how I have eroded trust, how I have perpetuated some family of origin stuff and dismissed your feelings, minimized feelings, and made the things important to you not important to me and therefore you know, made you feel small, made you feel silly, and, make, and have made my feelings more important. That's bullshit, right? So guys, if you feel like crap after reading Matt, Matt's book, I, I honestly don't care. And sometimes we need a kick in the ass like that to be like, wake up. And in fact, a therapist, a guy that I really respect that we were seeing a long time ago, looked me dead in the eye because I had done something really stupid. And he was just, I think he was disgusted with me. In fact, he was like, what? are you doing? And this was an older guy saying this, you know, like so our was, counselor. Yeah. Our therapist. Who I, again, I respected and I, and I was like, you know, like shrank to like six inches tall. I'm like, and I didn't have an answer. And that was one of the best things. So guys, if you get your feelings hurt, tough shit, I don't <laughs> care. Make, okay. If you learn something and you don't do anything, maybe you actually didn't learn it. Right. So I want you to learn this, take, take Matt's words, a bunch of the concepts and own and take accountability to like, change this stuff. I'm like full force changing this. And so that, that goes into a question. I know that was Do a not long, even think nope, you I can have, start I, your questions I first. Have, I have one question because it's related to that. So I, one of my guys are saying, okay, what actionable items can you suggest to guys who have read the book 
but can't seem to get ahead of the disappointment their spouses are experiencing. I mean, I, I really think that the biggest roadblock tends to be that invalidation pattern. Mm-hmm. That's usually to me the first hurdle. And it's what I lead with in my coaching work. It's the first thing we discuss because it's almost always a problem and, and nothing ever gets past that. Nothing ever gets repaired because the message of, hey, something's wrong and I feel hurt right now never lands and then gets like reflected back as, a, okay, I get this. I give a shit. You're going to be able to trust me moving forward. That, that never occurs. So like the repair never happens. Mm. It's just a wound that never heals over and over again. And then those pile up over like many months and years. So to me, that's the low-hanging fruit opportunity for people is to, but I mean, a belief change needs to occur. I mean, I don't, I don't think, this isn't just about like checking a to-do list. Mm-hmm. A belief change needs to occur. Here's what my wife learned about me. And this is just true. After, you know, the 13-ish years that we were together, when she said, hey, Matt, something's wrong. And she had the courage to come and tell me about it, trying to recruit me to help her. The only way she felt loved afterwards is if I agreed that, oh, that makes totally sense. That makes sense to me. I'm really sorry. I, and that, that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm like, of course, you got it. I was, I mean, I'm a, I'm a reasonably nice guy <laughs> and I, I cared. Mm-hmm. But all of the times, 100% of them, that I didn't agree, that I like somehow didn't understand because I thought different or I felt different, the reaction was what I think and what I feel is superior or better or more important to me than what you think and what you feel. Mm. I just disagree with your stance on this. Mm -hmm. So either you're wrong, the implication, I didn't say this, but it is the implication. Mm -hmm. You're wrong, you're stupid, you're crazy because there's something wrong with your brain. You're weak, you're hypersensitive, you're being dramatic because there's something wrong with your feelings. There's something wrong with how you're acting or reacting right now. Or the third version is, hey, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, stop, stop blaming me for this. Which says, again, I care more about my feelings right here in this moment than I care about yours, A. And B, as I'm justifying my behavior, you're hearing me say, I'm going to do the thing that hurts you again in the future Mm -hmm. because there's nothing wrong with it. Mm -hmm. Right. And we just destroy, but slowly, trust when we do this over and over again. So I really hope people can say, wow, it totally makes sense that somebody wouldn't want to be with me if I was constantly speaking and acting in a manner that communicated to them what I think and what I feel will always matter more than you. Mm-hmm. Always. You have to agree with me in order to feel loved and cared for and respected. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is just a bad combination for safety and trust and relationships. And I was just a little bit too ignorant and immature to see that, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I have a question. I have actually a few questions that I want to ask from the ladies in the group. Uh, so the first one is actually the lady says, thank you for using the reference of the game, The Last of Us. I don't even know what that is. But she said the fact that you use that in the book made her husband want to read the book. So that was really cool. And I love that. And I saw several reviews that were like, he talks about video games. That's amazing. And I was like, oh, that's a thing. But she also asks, when your male clients are transitioning into a role where they are putting in the effort to help carry the cognitive load, the balance, the labor in the home and show vulnerability, et cetera, to their wife, mm-hmm. do they sometimes hit a point of burnout because it's so much work compared to what they were doing before? And if so, what advice would you give to those kind of husbands? That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think it can. The word I use in my work is habit, mm. right? So uh, I'm somebody, I have 
ADHD, if you can't tell by my spazzy responses to everything. <laughs> um, and it's not something, by the way, that my wife and I knew about in our relationship. Mm-hmm. Would have really helped to have that framework mm-hmm. also. That would have been a really nice data point to have. Um, you know, I just didn't know. So remembering things or noticing things that are not inherently important to me or obvious to me is a problem in my life. I have a lot of blind spots. Mm -hmm. And so many of my male clients have very, very similar blind spots, right? It's just not obvious that this burnt out light on the ceiling fan that's got four bulbs is a big deal and that my wife feels disrespected. You know, she mentioned to me once at dinner four days ago, I totally forgot because I don't really give a shit about it. Like Mm -hmm. that's normal and that doesn't make him a bad guy but him not noticing how or or not frankly not understanding Mm -hmm. how she feels when she turns that light on every day and sees the bulb still out his inability to calculate for how hurtful that is to her because she's like wow you know he cares about football he cares about his job he cares about everything that matters to him i ask him for this thing that takes like 40 seconds and the story of my life he always chooses him over me um, hon, I, I'm so sorry. The ADHD is kicking in because I really want to honor like the question that you asked, but I'm doing one of my like weird tangent things again. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to say, so yeah. so we, we no, both don't have interrupt. ADHD, so it's a miracle this show has <laughs> I will has karate even chop like, you. Is, Let him talk. <laughs> the trifecta. Um, the burnout. That's what you were asking about. Um, the habit. So, right? So, validating is a habit. Mm-hmm. validating. I validate you even when I disagree with you. I absolutely care that you're in pain. I need to understand it. And I need to, you need to be able to trust me to like have your back when something is, is a negative experience for you. So I validate, even if I don't necessarily understand, mm-hmm. right? Even if I don't necessarily think you should feel that way about it, I'm damn sure going to show up for you. That's validation. And I need to do that on autopilot. Mm-hmm. I need to practice that with intensity so that it's like just happening organically. Mm-hmm. Because if I just got to remember every time, I mean, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Same. I think it's even more difficult with like shared domestic responsibility. There is a lot of pressure and I think a lot of stress and anxiety that a lot of the guys I work with feel about like all the landmines in the home, right? Because it feels like a thousand different things. Anything could set her off, which is why I hammer home this idea that it's not a thousand things. I understand that it presents that way. Because it can be laundry and light bulbs and dishes by the sink and toilet seats being left up and things related to the kids and all this stuff. And it feels like it's so much. It's not, though. It's one thing. It's consideration. Mm. It's just consideration. It's can I remember to habitually just include, just, just to run this like half second filter of might this impact my wife? And, and if so, positively or negatively. And I need to be able to predict with some accuracy whether something's going to be a good experience or a bad experience for the person next to me if they're going to trust me. They, I just have to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of guys, like, they don't even think about that, right? They don't think about, I need to be somebody that's capable of anticipating my wife's needs mm-hmm. or capable of giving her a gift that, you know, feels a certain way to her. Um, this manifests in all sorts of ways. But a person also won't trust us if they can't even count on us to, like, know mm-hmm. what is relatively good or relatively bad for them. Mm-hmm. That just means we're a threat to accidentally hurt them forever. Yeah. And that sucks. That's the habit. It's a mindfulness habit. And it's not about that eliminates to me the pressure of the the huge to do list. Right. Because it's it's not all the things. It's just this one idea that when it's constantly vigilantly practiced, safety and trust exist in the relationship. Mm -hmm. I love that. And and for folks with with 
ADHD, like, okay, if you find yourself uh, as a husband in this position, which I am, like a little moleskin thing that fits in your back pocket, light bulb, write it down, dishes, just, I mean, that, that helps me like object permanence with ADD and stuff like that. Oh, if I can see it and read it and be reminded of it, I'm more than happy to do it. So hot tip. Okay. Next question. I saw on your Instagram, you texting yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was, no, that was brilliant. And like, I use my calendar for everything. And I, you know, I shared the story in the book of that, like focus wristband, which mm-hmm. was like a little thing. Now I just keep it for sentimental reasons. Right. You know, it's just, I, I just wanted my son to not interpret my uh, anger or occasional criticism of something he was doing. I never wanted him to feel like I didn't think he was good enough. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't proud of him. Like, like I didn't think he was a great kid. Mm-hmm. And I, I had to like curb my reactions to him because I was scared that he might grow up thinking I've got a hypercritical father who never mm-hmm. thinks I'm good enough. Yeah. Like, you know, that, that's not okay to me. So no. I put a little wristband on to remind me to like choose to act differently. And everybody should find their own methodology for remembering to do what they want to do so that another person experiences them a certain way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is like the premise of all, I make planners. I make planners for myself and myself for myself. And then eventually <laughs> we'll be selling them for whatever. But um, that's like one of my favorite things to do, like plan to be a particular way, plan to show up for your marriage in a particular way. It's mm-hmm. silly not to. Um, another question that we got from a listener was essentially, I'm going to kind of boil it down. She said her husband listened, like he read the book, he listened to interviews and stuff. He, he'll agree. Oh yeah. I can totally see that I do that thing. And I can see myself in the pages of this book and blah, blah, blah. But then when they get into a real life situation, he will still literally be like, but my thoughts are better than your stupid emotions. So, so then what? And so the, the wife is like, what do you do with this? Like he's, she even said, I can't even really trust that he's changed because he'll say he understands it, but then his behavior is a different way. So like, what would you do with clients like that? I mean, I'm often talking to the female partner in that scenario. I don't want to, right, it's not always mm-hmm. the guy doing this or the female, right? right. But right, if we're talking like the averages, um, the, the partner that is feeling it constantly invalidated and not considered and, mm-hmm. and just generally hurt by the relationship, um, there's usually an imbalance between the two. Mm-hmm. Right up until the end when both feel horrible, <laughs> right? Like that's, that's the pattern. And um, I don't know what to say. You guys were talking about this idea of, um, you know, Seth, you said something about guys, sorry, like if your feelings are hurt, but I don't really care. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I come out. I had to hurt. This is like my new stock answer. I had to hurt on a level commiserate with what I perceived my wife to hurt in order to sort of organically empathize. Right with what she must have been going through in our marriage, mm-hmm. right? It took that level. I'm not like celebrating my divorce, but the medicine she gave me against my will allowed me to become a human being who is an infinitely less threat to sabotage my relationships by accident. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty big gift. And honestly, might've saved, might've saved me with my son. Mm-hmm. Now we may go on to have a really awesome relationship for the rest of our lives, that maybe it was being one of those, you know, like dark emo teens with like the dad that sucks. Like, yeah. you know, like it could have been that. I, I have no idea. Right. But, but, you know, maybe she like saved me from that. She yeah. certainly saved me from, you know, like my dating life today. Like I'm a pretty considerate guy. I, I don't mean dating like I'm like serial yeah. dating. It's like one person. Yeah. And right. But I mean, she perceives me to be very considerate. Mm-hmm. Um. And she experiences that like day in and day out. And by the way, it's really easy when you live in separate houses. Right. Let's be let's be super honest about that. 
Don't yeah. think I'm sure money and children and homes. <laughs> it is a piece of cake yeah. to practice vigilant consideration for other people. I've often considered having a, like a separate home. It's like, that would be like way easier. You just Wait have one your way and I'll have one my way. Um, but I do want to uh, allow you to tell people where to go to find what you do. And I want you to share uh, more about your coaching because you do, I think a really cool, you do marriage help coaching work and then also like divorce work and then divorce healing coaching. It's all so, kind of the same to be mm-hmm. fair. I mean, to me, the path to healing is... I understand that I played a role in hurting my relationship partner. People come to the same conclusions I did, and I don't mean to suggest they must. I mean, if, literally if, if they agree with like the way that I used to think about it and then evolve to the way I think about it today, I think they'll experience the same metamorphosis I did, which is I used to feel like a victim, my wife leaving me, and she quit on our marriage is how I felt. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, wow, like she made a really responsible choice and a difficult one. To voluntarily leave this relationship and sacrifice half of her son's childhood, who is like the person she like couldn't adore somebody more. Mm -hmm. She did that just because she wasn't going to subject herself to this level of feeling invisible and and mistreated Mm -hmm. for the rest of her life. Just because, again, I didn't perceive myself to mistreat her doesn't mean her experience wasn't mistreatment. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a critical concept for people to embrace. We we do not need to approve of other people's pain for them to hurt. Mm. Like. So anyway, my home on the internet is matthewfray.com. And, um, you know, you can find me on like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, but I'm not, I'm very good at social, but I, I need to get good at social. Let's be honest about that. Yeah. It's uh, in the world we live in today. Like I just don't full-time really like job. It's so, that's a lot. I, I don't enjoy the process, but I also don't mean to communicate to the people who have kindly hit the follow button that they don't matter. They, they really do. And I need to do a better job. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't just like disappear into the ether. Right. Well, yeah, I want, yeah, I encourage all of our listeners go follow Matthew on Instagram, follow him on all the things and help a brother out. Cause it is hard work. Yeah. It's a thing. So two more questions. We want to be respectful of your time. One Please. kind of random question. What <laughs> book are you reading right now? Well, I I'm always reading like two or three cause of the whole ADHD thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Me currently too. I'm reading educated, a memoir by Tara Westover. Um, growing up in this like cult in Utah or Idaho or something, mm, I think it's I've fabulous. Seen that, yeah. And her parents like didn't let her go to like school, and it's really neat. I'm reading David Goggins' "Can't Hurt Me." Yes, and I'm reading Morgan Housel's "Psychology of Money." Oh, um, those all sound great. Yeah, well, they're read- really interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, if I may, um, because my favorite little tidbit, I like to pull relationship insight from non-relationship material. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. and it's one of my favorite things to do. So at the beginning, I think of chapter four in the psychology of money, Morgan um, talks about something interesting I didn't know about Warren Buffett, you know, famed investor that's worth like $95 billion today. Mm-hmm. He, not that this isn't an enormous amount of money, but he only had $3 billion <laughs> at retirement age at 65. Wow. So the vast majority of his wealth was earned, right, in his, in his 60s, 70s. I don't know how old he is. I think he might be early 80s now. Mm-hmm. Um, and right, he's at the time of the book being written in 2019, he had like mid 80s. So he'd made like $85 billion approximately from age 65 to however old he was at the time of Morgan writing. And I, the insight was Warren's skill was investing, but his secret was time. Mm-hmm. And right, this idea of like compound interest mm-hmm. and the results of doing things consistently over time and the parallels to the negative consequences of these paper cuts in our relationships 
or the inverse of that, the, 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 the positive consequences, the positive rewards mm-hmm. of practicing vigilant consideration for another person and validating their experiences so that their experiences, I am seen, I'm loved, I'm heard, I'm known. I can mm-hmm. trust this person to speak and act in a manner that like honors and recognizes like my various wants and needs. They, they would never do anything to hurt me. Mm-hmm. Um, huge dividends. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> yeah. how you get a rock solid relationship after 25 years instead of somebody who hates the other and yeah. can't wait for their kids to move out so that they can get a divorce. Right. That's amazing. Right. I like, love that. Like the Gottman five to one ratio, you know, five decent, good, happy things to compare to one. And if that you have the inverse of that, it is literally just a matter of time of like, peace out, see you later. Yeah, I think that's a neat insight that the negative experience weighs more than the positive experience. Mm -hmm. I think it's useful to think about that. Mm -hmm. And it's true in tons of life applications, not just relationships. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like fear and anxiety and that stuff weighs more heavily on us than like joy and, and you know what I mean? Like we're happy for like five seconds and we're sad for like a long time. Yeah. Well, even <laughs> on an evolutionary- like the way that it works, it feels bad. Right. It, yeah. It's, it's kind I of remember all my big losses in poker, all of them. And yeah. I don't remember like all the pots I won. <laughs> no, no. And we remember negative reviews more than the, you know, oh, yeah. a thousand oh, like good, good ones. Lord, we're like, right. What? I think the book's dude. a 4.6 out of five. And that like 0.4 deficit is like, but yeah. you know what? The truth is I'm, I don't read them. Oh, yeah. I've seen a couple just because one of my friends was laughing about it. It's like, have you read your negative reviews? They're hilarious. That's <laughs> awful. No, it feels bad. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I'm Ours insulating really myself too. from that. Um, and one last thing. What are you into? This is a question I ask all the all the folks we have. Like, what's bringing you jazz right now? I don't care if it's whatever. It's like, hey, what's cool for you right now? It's like, I don't. It's going like, to. I want to be careful. All right. I'm just going to say it the adult way. I was going to like kind of joke. Um, I, I am a. I'm a big whiskey enthusiast. Yeah. Like really, I'm a massive nerd about it. I probably have like 225 open bottles of bourbon or rye um, wow. in my basement bar. And like, it's a big deal. You know, I collect them like baseball cards almost. And um, this is like, this is the fun season. This is where all the, the annual releases for bourbon and rye kind of come out. Oh. And, and it's really cool. And I spend more money than I should on a bottle of alcohol sometimes. I did that yesterday with a couple, but it's, it's so neat. So Is anyway, your bar like, like I, the size of Arkansas? I mean, that's a field. lot. That's a long, a no, lot. No, the bar, no, it's just really pathetically sort of, no, it's awful. <laughs> like I wouldn't be married anymore if like I was married to somebody who had to share the space and didn't value, you know, like yeah. whiskey in the way that I do. But I'm, that's, it's my little thing. And I, I'm a sports fan. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm in the Cleveland, Ohio area. The basketball nice. team's off to a really good start. It's nice. Nice. Awesome. Um, we, you yeah, should I'm make your about whole, the Bengals and the Browns. You should change your whole like Instagram presence to be like a whiskey connoisseur. Like you sit with like a little and you have like a, you smoke a thing and you have a jacket. That's what you should do. I, in all seriousness, I've been trying to devise some strategy to do either live events or like a podcast type of thing or YouTube type thing that incorporated like do alcohol. It. And I don't think it's a great. I don't think that's a particularly <laughs> no. responsible idea. I think that would bite me in the end. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fun. Okay, so um, I also smoked a cigar and had some really good whiskey just recently, and that's the first it time I ever like retreat. paired that. And I was like, "Whoa, this is good stuff." So, okay, best bottle of of whiskey, uh, uh fifty to a hundred dollars. What would you recommend? 
put me on the spot. Um, and well, taste is so subjective, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to be really careful about this. I, I I tend toward high proof bourbons. I don't like watered down ninety proof bourbons. I like hundred and ten and up proof bourbons generally. Um, there is a, a bottle from the Wild Turkey Distillery called Russell's Reserve. Mm. There's a weak white label version and an awesome red label version. The red label version is a single barrel product. It's 110 proof and it's beautiful. Jack Daniels, which isn't technically bourbon, but like chemically it sort of is, um, but it's a Tennessee product, but they have a single barrel barrel proof. Both of these are in like the 60, $65 range, by the way. And that lands in like the almost like 130 proof range. Mm. And it's beautiful. So to me, these things are as good as like two, $300 bottles of whiskey but you can go find them on a shelf, at least here in Ohio. Uh, it's, it's also geographically dependent. You guys are in the mm. Seattle area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't pretend to know what whiskey shelves look like there. Um, like I in your, either, in just your run of the mill liquor store. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Is whiskey like sake? Whiskey, Russell's like... Reserve single barrel, uh-huh. Jack Daniels single barrel, and again, barrel proof. Specifically, they have like a hundred proof version that I don't think is very good. Barrel like at least okay. for my palate. Yeah. Um, but the 130-ish proof one, if people are inclined to dabble in that, that range. And again, we're not gulping these with small sips. Right. Magic. We're going to have to try it. We're going to have to go out. We'll we'll check it out. Go to Crockett's. See if they've got it in their bar. A whiskey flight. Uh, That would be really fun. Okay. If I'm in Seattle and you guys have the time, I would love to hang out at a whiskey bar with you. Yes. That'd be awesome. Absolutely. That would be so amazing. I love like anything that's like a cleaner, like an astringent tasting. Like sake is like one of my favorite things ever. And gin, like just straight up. Like if it smells like it could clean a floor, I'll, I will enjoy drinking that. I think all alcohol is astringent. Oh, who that, even that knows? So, no yeah. one knows. But thank you for your time. We want to respect oh your time. And thank you for no, staying like, even a little bit late. This I has been awesome. I to be. It's my pleasure. I'm <laughs> uh, flattered and grateful for the opportunity. It was really nice to speak to both of you. And if there's a next time ever, I'll, I'll really look forward to it. Um, if I can ever be useful to you, please reach out. Yes, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Likewise. Um, yeah, thank you so much. You guys go get the book. Give a follow on Instagram. Uh, this book has personally, and I'm not just saying that to like kiss ass or anything. It it literally it. literally has given me a different insight. And I'm a therapist for crying out loud, so I should have had this insight. But it has given me a different insight that I'm thankful for. So thanks, Thank man. You. Thank you guys so much. All right. <laughs> have a good rest of your day. All right, you guys, thank you. I know that you got a ton of value from that. Go get the book, This Is How Your Marriage Ends, by Matthew Frey. We hope to do some more stuff with him in the future. Mm-hmm. And, and send him some love. Follow him on Instagram and go to his YouTube channel and subscribe. Definitely. He <laughs> promises that he's going to do a, a, um, a revamped Instagram uh, approach. So, uh, yeah, go do, go test him on that and follow him. So, all right, guys, see you. All right, bye. Thanks for listening to Anatomy of Us. This podcast is produced by my mom, Melanie Studley, and hosted by my dad, Seth Studley. Our show is edited and published by our producer, Reva Hansen, from Creative Media Support. Special thanks to our Patreon members that get an extra episode every week. Thanks for watching. Love you. Bye. <laughs>